Hey, Crypt Keepers, I want to tell you about our affiliation with Parabox. Parabox is a t-shirt subscription box with a twist. Each month, you'll receive a new paranormal soft style tee and info card about that month's theme. The shirt and card will contain clues to finding a hidden password for use on their website. Correct entries get entered in a raffle for free gear. They're pretty dope shirts with designs about all your favorite paranormal stuff like Black Eyed Kids, Bigfoot, Nazca Lines. Uh, my favorite is a cool Battle of Los Angeles tee. The designs are actually silk screened onto a soft style tee and we all know those are super comfortable. From the moment you open your pair box, you'll be so engrossed by the t-shirt you'll forget there's a puzzle built into it. Each shirt contains a secret password. It can be in the form of codes, ciphers, riddles, numbers, images, or other hidden gems. Have fun exploring the design and putting the pieces together to figure out where to go next. You can find the link in the show notes and we get a little kickback when you sign up for the box, so we would really appreciate it too. Good evening, Crypt Keepers. Welcome to the After Party. This is the deal. We tell you crazy stories for free once or twice a week, and all you must do is click that share button. I'm joined, as always, by a man who loves to bounce Barbie dolls. Ryan, what's up? I do. I do. Finally, a true statement. Well, <laughs> I guess not all of them have been false, but Barbie bouncing is an art form. It takes just the right angle, just the right flick of the wrist to get them spinning right you know flicking your wrist when you're playing with barbie dolls yeah and you make them wrestle that's right <laughs> tell us a little bit about a recent episode of movie howl oh mute mute was the last episode we did Have, did i tell you about that movie at all no is it a silent movie no it's uh his name Andrew Skarsgård, I think, the one who was in True Blood. Uh-huh. He is, it's like near future Berlin, and he is a former Amish person. Like, grew up in an All Amish right. community, but he lives in the city now. A big part of it is that as a child, he was injured, and he was, he's unable to speak now. He's mute because of this injury. They could have uh-huh. restored his voice, but his family wouldn't allow the procedure to be done because of like the technology involved or because of their Mm. beliefs. And the whole thing is his girlfriend goes missing and it's him trying to navigate this world and find her. It's really good. It's got him. It's got Paul Rudd. It's got it. There are quite a few faces you'd recognize in it, but it's a really interesting, interesting movie from the perspective of like how they explore the world. I thought they did a really good job because it's an Amish person, so it makes sense to kind of spend more time showing us how this world works 
than it would if you were just like a normal person going about your day who's been in, engrossed in this technology your entire life. Mm-hmm. But it also doesn't let that stuff in the future setting get in the way of it. It just adds color to the background. So it's a watch. Yeah, totally a watch. And I think it's on probably Netflix, but I don't know. It used to be everything was on Netflix. Now, now some of you have to subscribe to Peacock or Philo and Disney Plus. Yeah. All right. Well, check that one out and let us know what you think. So I'm going to tell you guys what you need to know now. Click that share button and click that subscribe button. If you like the show, if you hate the show, I don't care. Click the damn subscribe button. Do us a favor. We've got damn near 100 free episodes out. Come on, man. You can find some of our stuff on TikTok. It's a lot of the beats that I made for the intros and outros, but we're adding more and more stuff all the time. That's at critique underscore podcast. We are going to start releasing our podcasts on YouTube if that's a more convenient place for you to listen, or you just want to see some cool album covers and stuff like that, then uh, check that out. As always, the Parabox link is in the show notes. And, you know, they've got cool stuff coming out every month. You want to uh, get us started on this crazy story? Sure. Anatoly Moskvin is a Russian former linguist philologist, which neither of us were familiar with. So that is someone who studies the history of languages, especially by looking closely at literature and historian who was arrested in 2011 after the mummified bodies of 26 girls and women between the ages of 3 and 29 were discovered in his apartment. After exhuming the bodies from local cemeteries, Moskvin mummified the bodies himself before dressing and posing them around his home. Moskvin's parents, who shared the apartment with him, knew of the mummies but mistook them for large dolls. Sure. A psychiatric evaluation determined that Moskvin had a form of paranoid schizophrenia. In May of 2012, he was sentenced to court-ordered psychiatric evaluation and has since been held in a psychiatric hospital. Vladimir Stravinskis, head of the Investigative Committee of Russia for the Nizhny Novgorod region, called the case exceptional and unparalleled in modern forensics. Whew, do you want to... We'll get into uh, his parents a little bit later. But let's talk quickly about his personal life and education. Anatoly Moskvin was born in the city of Gorky in Soviet Russia, which is now known as the Nizhny Novgorod. As a schoolboy, Moskvin began wandering through cemeteries with friends. In an article written shortly before his arrest, he attributed his interest in the dead to a childhood incident in which he witnessed a funeral procession for an 11-year-old girl. Moskvin alleged that the participants forced him to kiss the dead girl's face, writing that, quote, an adult pushed my face down to the waxy forehead of the girl in an embroidered cap, and there was nothing I could do but kiss her as ordered, end quote. So, I I mean, I've seen people, you know, kiss someone's forehead at a funeral or touch their hand or something like that, but, I mean, if you're the kid being forced to touch a dead body, forced to kiss the forehead, After graduating from the Philological Faculty of Moscow State University, Moskvin became well-known in academic circles. His main areas of academic interest were Celtic history and folklore, as well as languages and linguistics. Moskvin had a deep interest in cemeteries, 
burial rituals, death, and the occult. He kept a personal library of over 60,000 books and documents as well as a large doll collection. Fellow academics described Moskvin as both a genius and an eccentric, which often go hand in hand. As an adult, Moskvin led a secluded life. He never married or dated, preferring to live with his parents. He abstained from drinking alcohol and smoking and is purportedly a virgin. In 2016, it was reported that Moskvin planned to marry a 25-year-old native of his hometown who attended his trial. Tell us about his distinguished career. A former lecturer in Celtic studies at Nizhny Novgorod Linguistic University, Moskvin previously worked at the Institute of Foreign Languages. A philologist, linguist, and polyglot who speaks 13 languages, he has written several books, papers, and translations, all well-known in academic circles. Moskvin also occasionally worked as a journalist and regularly contributed to local newspapers and publications. Describing himself as a necropolist, or necropolist, <laughs> as we don't know how he said it, Moskvin <laughs> was considered an expert on local cemeteries in Nizhny Novgorod Oblast. Now, I looked up that word, and the only places I can find it referred to are articles relating to him. So this is apparently a, a word he must have coined himself or is the only commonly cited source of having used it. And it seems to refer to somebody who is uh, who studies or is knowledgeable of graves and grave sites. There you go. So that's kind of interesting. In 2005, Oleg Ryabov, a fellow academic and publisher, commissioned Moskvin to summarize and list the dead in more than 700 cemeteries in 40 regions of Nizhny Novgorod Oblast. Moskvin claimed that over the next two years, he had gone on foot to inspect 752 cemeteries across the region, walking up to 18.6 miles a day. During these travels, he drank from puddles, spent nights in haystacks and at abandoned farms, or slept in the cemeteries themselves, even going so far as to spend a night in a coffin being prepared for a funeral. On his extensive travels, Moskvin was sometimes questioned by police on the suspicion of vandalism and theft, but was never arrested or detained after stating his academic credentials and purpose. The work itself remains unpublished, but has been described as unique and priceless by Alexei Yasin, the editor of Necrology's, a weekly paper to which Moskvin was a regular contributor. After his arrest, Yasin stated that he was confident there had been a mistake and Moskvin would be exonerated. Later, Yasin told the Associated Press that Moskvin was a loner who had certain quirks, but who gave no indication that he was up to anything unusual. Between 2006 and 2010, Moskvin worked as a freelance correspondent for the newspaper Nizhny Novgorod Worker, because we can't get away from saying Nizhny Novgorod, publishing articles twice a month. His father also sometimes wrote for the same paper. During 2008, he wrote an extensive series of articles on the history of Nizhny Novgorod cemeteries that appeared in the paper. And it sounds kind of weird, I guess, but if you think about it, having like a source that you could go to and say, I want to visit, you know, my great grandpa's grave, where is it at? And then, you know, you have a resource that tells you it's in this cemetery. It is in this, you know, specific spot. You go 10 rows back and three rows to your left and you'll find his gravestone there. So it's it's not something that is 
necessarily just creepy and weird and gross until he puts his personal touch on it. Right. I mean, in America, it's one of those things where we probably don't immediately appreciate how hard it would be to track grave sites because we've never gone through like invasions and revolutions and thousands of years of people living there. Right. 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 So, you know, in what the town I'm in, I'm, I'm in Edwardsville, Illinois. There's what? 200 years of history founded mm-hmm. in 1818 dating back to like a couple of years before that as a trading post. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, the oldest graves in town that I've seen are from that. You know, there are a couple really old graveyards tucked away, really old in a relative sense, tucked away in some of the Mm -hmm. older neighborhoods around here. But, you know, we're not stumbling across a graveyard that's a thousand years old. Right. We we have trouble deciphering what's written on the stones or anything. So, yeah, you're right. It is a an important thing that they had him doing. Right. I mean, you know, you brought it up that the uh, headstones could be weathered and worn and you might not know exactly, you know, whose grave you're at. If you can do this in the 2000s, then in 2089, somebody will be able to look up a grave and go to it that they wouldn't normally be able to find. So it it is beneficial. But let's talk about his arrest and criminal proceedings. Moskman was arrested on November 2nd, 2011 by police investigating a spate of grave desecrations in cemeteries in and around Nizhny Novgorod. Investigators from the Center for Combating Extremism discovered the 26 bodies, initially reported as 29, in Moskvin's flat and garage. Video released by police shows the bodies seated on shelves and sofas in small rooms full of books, papers, and general clutter. So if you look at this house, it's like, and you can find this video on YouTube easily, but it's kind of like a beginner's guide to hoarding. It's, you know, there's stuff stacked up everywhere and all that, but... In any case, although only 26 bodies were discovered in his home, Moskvin was suspected of desecrating as many as 150 graves after police found numerous grave accoutrements such as metal nameplates removed from headstones. What else did they find? Police also discovered instructions for making the dolls, maps of cemeteries in the region, and a collection of photographs and videos depicting open graves and disinterred bodies, though none of this evidence could be conclusively connected to any of the bodies found in the apartment. According to the investigation, the bodies primarily came from cemeteries in the region, though some may have come from as far away as Moscow. Moskvin actively cooperated with investigators and claimed he had made the dolls over the course of 10 years. His parents, who were away for large portions of the year, were unaware of his activities. But were they really I, I mean for real you live in a flat it's not like they live in this you know mansion in key west with 40 rooms it's probably a bedroom a master bedroom a bathroom living room and kitchen he had a collection of 60,000 books though too i know that's what i mean it it was just a mess it could be a big apartment but you're right how big could it be Right. I mean, if you have 26 life-size child mummy dolls, I mean, 
It's unbelievable to me that his parents had no idea. It is unbelievable to me. If you're not suffering from a disability or some other sort of like mental illness, how could you not notice that there's 26 bodies rotting in your flat? Even if you're gone for a lot of time, I mean, that would almost make it worse because if you're, you know, you're gone for a while, boy, you open that door to walk in. Oh, you're going to smell it. Smells like mummies. Moskvin was charged under Article 244 of the Criminal Code for desecration of graves and dead bodies, a charge which carried up to five years in prison. Originally, he was also accused of having defaced the graves of Muslims considered a hate crime, but this charge was later dropped. After a psychiatric evaluation, it was determined that Moskvin had a form of paranoid schizophrenia. In a hearing on the 25th of May, 2012, the Leninsky District Court of Nizhny Novgorod deemed Moskvin unfit to stand trial, releasing him from criminal liability. He was instead sentenced to coercive medical measures. The prosecution was satisfied with the decision and did not appeal the verdict. Moskvin was moved to a psychiatric clinic with his stay to be reviewed regularly. In February of 2013, a hearing approved an extension of his treatment. Moskvin's treatment was again extended in April of 2014 and again in July of 2015. In 2014, a spokesman stated, After three years of monitoring him in a psychiatric clinic, it is absolutely clear that Moskvin is not mentally fit for trial. He will therefore be kept for psychiatric treatment at the clinic. In 2018, Moskvin's doctors stated that he was no longer dangerous and petitioned the court to release him for outpatient care from home. However, in February of 2019, a subsequent psychiatric evaluation found that it was too early to release Moskvin and the hospital withdrew their petition. So, I I do wonder if he's actually dangerous. Because mm-hmm. they're not saying he killed anyone. Right. They're saying he was hanging out in graveyards because of this project and was just helping himself. Yeah. So it's illegal, but it's not, it's illegal. It's wrong. It's, you know, immoral, morally and legally it is wrong, but it's not dangerous. He's not killing people to do it that we know of. Well, I think that people look at this and yeah, they diagnosed him with a form of paranoid schizophrenia, and I, I was never able to, you know, dig any more into that. But if someone's doing this, that's the next logical step, right? Well, uh, because yeah. we and I, you know, I go back to exploring evil, but we see escalation all the time. And I guess, kind of on a side point, the people who are serial rapists and killers generally don't start off that way. They start off as peeping toms and then maybe they break in and steal something and then maybe they escalate to rape and then maybe it escalates to rape and murder. And then now we have this guy who is going to be watched and it could easily escalate into, oh, they they're going to be watching for me at these uh, cemeteries and they're going to know if somebody gets dug up, especially a kid. Oh, we go talk to Anatoly immediately. So maybe he decides, "Eh, maybe it's easier if I just grab a kid off the street and then they have no way necessarily to link it 
to me. I just feel like they're afraid of escalation and that's probably why they're keeping him locked up and not allowing him to stand trial even. So, yeah, that makes sense cuz they might just be thinking you know, he how long until he goes from bodies in the ground or in a coffin to like, eh, that one walking around is okay. Yeah. Just, and, and, just take that. <laughs> and Russia is much different than the United States. I mean, we just saw someone get arrested and thrown in a gulag for having a couple of cannabis vape pens. Right. So, yeah, they were, yeah, it wasn't even weed. It was a, yeah, it was a vape. Which people coming into my bar have all the time because it's legal in so many places now. I feel like, yeah, they're afraid it's going to escalate, and that's why they keep him there. And and I can't say, you know, I mean, God, if my kid was robbed from her grave, they brought her body to an apartment and plastered it and mummified it and kept it there, that's horrific. This guy took bodies out of graves and mummified them and kept him in his apartment. I would consider that a threat. We'll talk about his motives after a quick break. Welcome back, Crypt Keepers. Ryan's going to tell us about his motives. In an interview after his arrest, Moskvin stated he felt great sympathy for the dead children and thought that they could be brought back to life by either science or black magic. As an expert on Celtic culture, Moskvin learned that the ancient Druids slept on graves in order to communicate with the spirits of their dead. He also studied the culture of the peoples of Siberia, in particular the ancient Yakuts, and discovered they had a similar practice for communicating with the dead. I think that's kind of cool. Before we keep moving, mm-hmm. you know, you, you sleep there so you can dream. And maybe that person communicates with you in your dream. But I, that's kind of a cool little aside. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> Mosfin began searching for obituaries of recently deceased children. When he found an obituary that spoke to him, he would sleep on the child's grave in order to determine if the spirit wished to be brought back to life. Mosfin claimed that he had been doing this for around 20 years and insisted that when he began, he never dug up a grave without the permission of the child within. As he grew older, it became physically painful for him to sleep on the graves, so he began bringing the bodies home where it would be more comfortable to sleep near them. Whew! He hoped the spirits would be more willing to speak in a safe, welcoming home and that they might be easier to hear when they were no longer underground. After exhuming the corpses, Moskvin researched mummification theories and techniques to preserve the bodies. He dried the corpses using a combination of salt and baking soda and then cached the bodies in secure dry places in and around cemeteries. So do you think that his parents were ever questioned like hey why'd you buy 10 pounds of salt why'd you buy 10 pounds of baking soda i what, think what are you doing with this stuff i think among sixty thousand books and all the other stuff he had it it probably was not so much of a problem 
Yeah, that's a good point. Once the bodies dried, Mosfin carried them to his home where he used various methods to make dolls to give the children functional bodies to be used when he eventually discovered a way to bring them back to life, feeling that their physical remains were too decayed and ugly for them to feel comfortable or happy. So that kind of sets the stage as far as he was doing the salt and baking soda stuff before he brought them home. So that's like that's like a second crime scene, right? Like mm-hmm. he gets, or I can't imagine that he would just dig up the body and then like do it in the cemetery but he could be at cemeteries that you know maybe he he had been there for three weeks and not a single person showed up at the cemetery so he thought yeah i can just dig them up and do it right here unable to prevent the bodies from withering and shrinking as they tried he would wrap the limbs in strips of cloth and stuff the body cavity with rags and padding to provide fullness sometimes adding wax masks decorated with nail polish over the faces before dressing them in brightly colored children's clothes and wigs. These details made the bodies appear to be large homemade dolls, which prevented their discovery. It was unclear if each doll contained a full set of human remains. Moskvin was aware that he was committing a crime, but felt the dead children were calling out to be rescued and believed that rescuing the children was more important than obeying the law. He was also motivated by his own desire to have children, specifically a daughter. Moskvin often regretted that he had never had children and at one point attempted to adopt a young girl against the wishes of his parents, but his application was declined due to his low income, which is interesting given his uh, academic standing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Like, man, you're too poor to have a kid, but you're a professor? Mm -hmm. I guess that's uh, communism at work for you. Well, I mean, okay. (laughs) Moskvin denied any sexual attraction to the dolls and instead considered them to be his children. He spoke to and interacted with the corpses, sang songs to them, watched cartoons with them, and even held birthday parties and celebrated holidays for their benefit. It's been reported at multiple sources, but he would put music boxes in the body cavities that he could just, you know, like pop it open, boom, play music on the music box and he kind of like pretended like that was them talking to him then we'll talk about a bid for release so according to dailymail.com Moskvin who kept a house of whores with 26 bodies of dead little girls that he had mummified has been denied a bid for freedom so that he could get married he was ruled mentally unfit to stand trial and sent to a psychiatric clinic. And we see these stories of women that, you know, interact with men that are in prison. And I understand that sometimes women like the bad boy. And I think that's what they see when they're interacting, you know, through letters or whatever with these men in prison. You know, we saw it with Ted Bundy, Richard Ramirez. There were all these groupies that showed up. But I just... It, I mean, this woman who was willing to marry him has to be mentally ill, too, right? I mean, he's not a bad boy. He's a fucking weird-ass, grave-robbing, child-doll-making motherfucker. And this woman's like, well, I think he would make a great husband. Mm-hmm. It's insane. I'm some of that. <laughs> right. But lawyers for Moskvin say that after nine years of treatment, he is now well enough to become an outpatient and that he wanted to move to Moscow and get married. 
They say he also planned to write a book and to get a job as a language teacher, taking advantage of the fact that he speaks 13 languages. However, the Leninsky District Court had a hearing and they decided that the friendship could not move to marriage until he was made an outpatient. Investigators who were alerted to this horrific collection of bodies of dead little girls that he had dressed up like dolls and positioned around his home were tipped off after his parents made a visit when they were returning home from holiday and spotted the mummies. So they figured it out after 26. It's just beyond me that you could have mummified remains and they're not going to smell at all. And I'm sure that apartment stunk because, like I said, it was, you know, borderline hoarding, if if not legit hoarding. Yeah, I mean, even if it's not the smell of decay, the chemicals are going to smell, right? You would think. I mean, wouldn't you even just be like, hey, dude, listen, you've got 26 life-size dolls of children. What the fuck is wrong with you? You know what I mean? Like that would yeah. that would stand out too. So, I don't know. I mean, I you obviously wouldn't think the worst of your child or your spouse or whatever, but come on. They were laying around the house. It's not like they were in a crawl space or an attic. So, anyway, it's it was decided that he was unfit to stand trial based on a diagnosis of paranoid schizophrenia. And he was sent to a psychiatric clinic instead in May of 2012, like we talked about. The macabre collection included detailed notes on each of the tiny bodies. Though 26 bodies were found in his home at the time of his arrest, it is believed that he had dug up an astonishing 150 graves before he was finally apprehended. So, creepy. What's your uh, final thoughts on this guy? Uh, yeah. Agreed. Creepy. Two creepy thumbs up or down, depending on which way we want to agree with that. But it's just so weird. I've never heard of anything like this before that got to this point. I mean, we know that people that are serial killers sometimes return to the scene of the crime to try and relive something and, you know, people have sex with dead bodies but this is just so bizarre it's I don't know do you believe him do you believe that he thought that he was helping these children and that he was going to bring them back to life and he just needed to communicate do you believe that what he is stating is true or do you think I mean obviously the guy's smart you know he could come up with a a defense like this so do you think he was being forthright with everything and he's sick and needs help or do you believe that that was kind of his construct to be like mm, I know how I can not end up in a gulag at least I'll end up in a <laughs> psych hospital no I believe I think he probably thought he was doing good because the way, if he just had them displayed around his home with no real fear of being discovered because he thought he was doing something good enough that it was, you know, not going to be a problem. It would outweigh the bad. Right, right, right. Then, yeah, I mean, otherwise they would have been hidden. I think we would have, they would have found them in a, 
we'd be reading an article about how they were found in like a, a storage unit or something. Yeah. I don't know, man. It's it's a sad story all around, but mm. I think they're doing the right thing, keeping him locked up. And they're protecting his future wife, too. I mean, if she knows about this stuff, then she kind of is cool with it. You know what I mean? So it's like, is he thinking like, wow, if I can say that I want to get married and get a job and be a productive citizen, I have someone who's willing to marry me. They're going to let me out. And then he's thinking, well, she's cool with this. I can I can go right back to doing this because she knows it's part of my personality. That's love, man. Yeah. That's love. Like, if you can put up with your spouse digging up children and making dolls out of them, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, me and Kim have problems just because she now snores like a monster. <laughs> it's only going to get worse, mm, brother. Noise as she exhales. <laughs> so she started bringing home bodies that we might have to have words. Right. All right. Well, that's all we've got for you tonight on Cryptique. Click that share button and click that subscribe button, please. That's all we ask. You can check out our TikToks at cryptique underscore podcast. Our YouTube is at cryptique podcast. The cryptique store is coming soon. The Parabox link is in the show notes. We hope you enjoyed the after party. We'll be back with you next week with something amazing. So get the word out. Help us get the word out. Good evening, Crypt Keepers. <laughs>